0: Hey everybody, thanks so much for listening to this podcast. I hope it's really helping you grow in the Lord. But I just wanted to take a second just to talk about this great tool that I've been using to bring the Word of God to people. Anchor is a tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And when hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast to listening platforms like Spotify and Apple Podcasts and a lot more, so it's really been helping me reach people that I can't go to their house and actually teach them a Bible study. So it's everything you need in the podcast in one place. The best of all, Anchor, and it's totally free. So download the Anchor app or go to Anchor.fm to get started. Welcome to the Word Bible Study with Pastor Dan. I'm excited for everyone who decided to have a Bible study with me today. I hope you're having an amazing blessed day because we serve an amazing God who loves to bless us. And we're going to be blessed today as we learn about how we got our Bible. We're going to go through a lot of information today that shows us how we get the Bible in our hands today from where they started originally writing and compiling the scriptures. A lot of the material that I'm going to be reading and discussing today comes from a pamphlet from Rose Publishing called How We Got Our Bible. And they have a lot of really useful pamphlets that you can use to teach quick little Bible studies and they compile a lot of information that we're going to be reading and discussing here today. Now the first thing we're going to discuss are 10 key points to how we got our bible that we've got to keep in mind as we go throughout this study today. Number 1 is that the bible is the inspired word of god. And the bible of course tells us that. We can go to 2 Timothy 3 starting at verse 16 it says all scripture is inspired by god and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong with our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong. And teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. So that's the Bible telling us that we know our Bible is inspired by the word of God. So God's hand has continued to protect and preserve his word so that we have what we have today. Now let's go to Second Peter starting in verse 20. Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, these prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. So there's a couple of passages in the Bible that prove that all scripture comes from the Holy Spirit. Now the second point that we need to talk about is the Bible is made up of 66 different books that were written over 1600 years, which was from about 1500 BC to about 180, by more than 40 kings, prophets, leaders, and followers of Jesus. The Old Testament has 39 books written from about 1500 to 400 BC, and the New Testament has 27 books written from about 45 to 100 A.D. The Hebrew Bible has the same text as the English Bible's Old Testament, but divides and arranges it in different ways. The third key point that we have to remember is that the Old Testament was written mainly in Hebrew and Aramaic, and the New Testament was written in Greek. And the fourth main point that we want to remember is the books of the Bible were received and recognized by God's people as God's Word. So prophets who did miraculous things have acknowledged these scriptures as being true. The fifth key point that we have to remember is before the printing press was invented, the Bible was copied by hand. In many cases, the Old Testament was copied by Jewish scribes who developed intricate methods of counting words and letters to ensure the accuracy of every written copy. So they would have a method where they would count so many letters down and so many letters up and it had to be the exact same letter and a lot of these handwritten copies we're going to learn about we still have today the sixth key point we have to remember is the Bible was the first complete book ever printed on a printing press by movable type which was Gutenberg's press in 1455 and it is our original Latin Bible all right the seventh key point that we have to remember is that there is much evidence that the Bible we have today is remarkably true to the original writings. Of the thousands of copies of the New Testament made by hand before AD 1500, over 5,600 Greek manuscripts still exist in whole or in part today. The text of the Bible is better preserved than the writings of ancient philosophers like Plato and Aristotle. So a lot of what we accept as history today is less proven than the Bible. The eighth key point to remember is the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls confirmed the astonishing reliability of some of the copies of the Old Testament made over the years. Although copy variations exist, none affect anything that we believe about God or his work in the world. Number nine. As the Bible was carried to other countries, it was translated in the common languages of the people by scholars who wanted others to know God's word. Today there are still about 1800 people groups with no Bible in their own language. So we still have some translating to go if we want everybody to be able to enjoy God's word in their own language. And now the 10th and final key point that we have to remember is by AD 200, the Bible was translated into seven languages. By 500 AD, it was translated into 13 languages. By 900 AD, we had 17 languages. And by 1400, we had 28 languages. By the 1800s, we had 57 languages. And by the 1900s, we had 537 languages. By 1980, we had over 1,100 languages translated. And by 2006, we have 2,426 languages that have at least some portion of the scriptures. Alright, so the Bible is split into two, the Old and the New Testament. The Old Testament was written between 1500 to 1400 BC. So it was written a lot different than the Old Testament was written. The Old Testament was written on materials such as stone, clay, leather, and pyrus. Pyrus was a plant that grew by the Nile River, which is why God sent Moses to Egypt. Because Egypt had the earliest stage of writing, which was writing on pyrus. Which was like a reed that grew by the Nile, and they would unroll it and write on it with ink. So that's how we got a lot of the Old Testament. Scrolls of leather and later of Pyrrhus were used to make copies of the scriptures. The Pyrrhus Codex is a bound volume made of sheets folded and sewn together, sometimes with a cover, and Christians began using them instead of scrolls no later than early 100s AD. So originally they wrote these on Pyrrhus and they would like bind them together, fold them, and sew them together. And that was like the earliest form of books, which was from Egypt which is where Moses came from who wrote the first five books of the Bible. The Bible was printed on a printing press after 1455. Winecliffe's Bibles were copied by hand on Villem in the 1300s to the 1400s. Each copy took months to produce and cost six months wages or more just to produce one Bible because they were all copied by hand. The Bible was the first complete book to be printed by Gutenberg's printing press in 1455 A.D. So that's how we originally got from the Old Testament to today. It was written on pyrus and stones and clay and leather. And eventually it was translated word by word by hand in the 13 to 1400s. And then of course we got the printing press in 1455 And that's when we finally got the actual printed Bible. But the New Testament was written between 45 to 100 A.D. And it was written on Pyrrhus as well. The oldest New Testament fragment from John 18 that we have today was copied in Greek on Pyrrhus Codex around A.D. 90 to 150. The New Testament volumes were also written on animal skins. They had fine quality animal skins from sheeps and goats and calves, and they used them for over a thousand years to make copies of the Bibles from about 300 to 1400 AD. Two of the oldest Valenum copies from AD 300s that exist today in the Codex Vaticanus and in the Codex Santicus, Both of those were written on animal skins and still preserved today. So that was another way that the New Testament was preserved and written was on pyrus and also animal skin. And of course today we have it printed on paper because of the printing press from Gutenberg in 1455. And today we also have digital download. That's something new. We actually have the Bible in digital form now so you can get it in digital and in paper and we still print it today. But that's where our Bible came from. Originally, it was from papyrus and clay and leather. So clay and papyrus, of course, were more Old Testament, New Testament. They used more of the leather, skin, and the papyrus to record the scriptures on. And again, we still have some of these copies today. We have copies of the papyrus paper that were written in the Old Testament that we can go see in museums, and we still have the New Testament that we've preserved that was on skins and leathers and also in pyrus. So now we're gonna jump into a timeline and how we got our Bible. So we're gonna go all the way back to 200 BC because that's when we originally started writing down the Bible. We know Moses started writing the Bible around that time. The Old Testament events were written in Hebrew and in Aramaic over centuries. And in Exodus, the Lord told Moses to write in a book everything that he was telling him. So, this is how we began with Moses writing. That's why Moses wrote the Torah. And that's why we have it today. It all started, the whole Bible writings began with Moses. So, Moses wrote down the Old Testament inspired by God. And then, of course, the rest of the Old Testament includes letters from the kings and prophets. And together with the writings on leather scrolls and other materials, they are called the Hebrew Scriptures of the Old Testament. So that's how all of the Old Testament was compiled. Starting with Moses, learning how to write on Pyrus and continuing it through all of the prophets and the kings. They continue to write on leather and other forms of material. But this is where we get the basis of our Bible. Moses wrote the first five books, known as the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And then from there, of course, we're going to break down an actual overview of the Bible in future Bible studies to come. But for now, that's and that's how we got all the scriptures. They were either written on leather or they were written on other materials that we preserved and continued to hand down from generation to generation, beginning in 2000 B.C. And now we're going to move along on the timeline to around 500 B.C., where we read about Ezra. And Ezra we read about in the Bible. He was a priest and a scribe, and he collected and arranged some of the books of the Hebrew Bible, which was the Old Testament, around 450 B.C., according to Jewish tradition. And again, we read about this in our Bible, where Ezra found some of the old scriptures, and he copied them and preserved them. And a lot of these scribes and historians helped preserve the Bible. That's how we got the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. It was translated no later than 100 B.C. by Jewish scholars in Alexandria, Egypt. That's where they translated a lot of the Old Testament. The word Septuagint means 70, referring to this translations that 70 or 72 scholars translated it. So the reason why it's called the Septuagint is because that tells you how many scholars translated it. And it is often abbreviated LXX, the Roman numerals, for 70. So it's known for being translated by several scholars. Its books are loosely arranged by chronological or genre, history, poetry, and wisdom, or the prophets. It includes the apocrycy, which means hidden or unclear. Referring to the Jewish religious writings that had never been included in the Hebrew Bible. And this brings us up to about 200 BC. So this is when we finally get the Septuagint in 200 BC. And this is what a lot of our Bibles have been used to translate from. But before we move on here, let's learn a little bit about the Papyrus plan. It's a plant that is cut into strips and pressed into sheets for writing materials. It can be made into a scroll or a codex. And a codex is just like a book, folded pages that are sewn together with a cover. So basically a book. The New Testament books were probably first written on Piper's scrolls. Later, Christians began to copy them on sheets of pyrus, and then they were bound and placed in between two pieces of wood for covering. This is the form of the earliest book known as the Codex. And this is how the scriptures were preserved up until the printing press. Now, that is how everything was preserved up until the time of Jesus, which was from about 4 BC to around 33 AD. And at this time, we had the Septuagint. Now, Jesus quoted from and read from the Septuagint. And if it would have been false, he would have claimed that it was false and told them it was false. But Jesus actually supported the scriptures. Jesus quoted from the old scriptures often. And he said that he did not come to destroy the scriptures, but to fulfill them. So he's saying that the Septuagint was accurate. He said to his disciples, these are the words which I spoke unto you, that all things must be fulfilled, which is written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. So he's quoting here. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. That's Luke twenty four, forty four through forty five. So here Jesus is clearly saying that the Septuagint was accurate and it was the word of God. So according to the only guy who ever raised from the dead, he says up until this point the scriptures were accurate. And now around A.D. 100, the followers of Jesus and the eyewitnesses of the risen Lord Jesus and their close associates wrote the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Luke also wrote the book of Acts from a historical point of view. And of course, we have the letters to the Christians, the epistles. And we also have the book of Revelations, which was written between 45 to 100 A.D. These writings quote from all but eight of the Old Testament books. Their writings become known as the New Covenant or the New Testament. The New Covenant God made with the people was promised in Jeremiah 31. Starting at verse 31 which reads, The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. The covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors, but... When I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt, they broke that covenant. Though I love them as a husband loved his wife, says the Lord. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my instructions deep within them, and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. And they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying... You should know the Lord, for everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already, says the Lord. I will forget their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. So this is where we have the complete Bible around 200 AD, and we have the earliest translations in Latin, cryptic, which is Egyptian, and Syriac, which is from Syria. And, of course, at this time, the church fathers accepted these writings from the apostles and their close associates and canonized them and used the word canonical, which means the standard of our faith. So now, as we're moving along this timeline, we come to 300 AD, and the New Testament books are collected and circulated throughout the known world by the time of the emperor Constantine. He legalized Christianity in around... AD 313. By the 1400 ADs, the consensus was already emerged that 27 books could be traced to the eyewitnesses and their close associates. This is confirmed by Athenaeus, Jerome, and Augustine, and three church councils, including the Synod of Corinth in around AD 397. So, everybody at this time. Agreed that these books were accurate, especially the 27 books of the New Testament where they were traced specifically to eyewitnesses of these accounts Jerome started translating the scriptures into Latin around 382 AD and he finished 23 years later This translation is called the Latin Vulgate, which remains the official Bible for many centuries for churches and fellowship with the Bishop of Rome. So this is the Latin Vulgate. We still have copies of this today as well. The Latin Vulgate was the most used Bible for a long period of time. And around AD 500, the Roman Empire declines. And the Germanic migrations begin around AD 378 to 600 AD which causes many new languages to emerge. And this is where we're gonna to continue to need multiple translations. So the Masorets were special Jewish scribes entrusted to the sacred task of making copies of the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament. This was about AD to 1000 AD. They developed a meticulous system of counting the number of words in each book of the Bible to make sure that they copied it accurately. So they were very meticulous. People were killed if they messed this up. The Old Testament preserved by the Masoretes is known as the Masoretic Text. And then it brings us to about A.D. 600. Now, Christianity reaches Britain before A.D. 300. But the Anglo-Sacton pagans drive Christian Britons into Wales around 450 A.D. to 600. In A.D. 586... Augustine of Canterbury renews efforts to bring the Gospels to England. Chadman, an illiterate monk, retells portions of the Scriptures in Anglo-Saxon (Old English) poetry and songs around 8676. And Elma Sherdenham in 709 A.D. is said to have translated the Psalms. Bede, a monk and scholar, also made old english translations of portions of the scripture he died in around AD 35 while translating john's gospel and alfred the great king of wexus around AD 871 to 901 ad translated the first 50 psalms into old english so this is where they're starting to translate it into old english for us alfred the bishop of durham inserts a translation in Northumbrian. A dialect of Old English between the lines of the Latin Landis Severian Gospels around AD 950. Alfric was another scribe who translated portions of the Latin Old Testament into Old English around 955 AD to 1020 AD. So they're all translating it from the Latin into the Old English which is where we're gonna get our translations from today. Normans conquered England in 1066 A.D., and the Middle English language develops from the mangling of the Old English and the French. No translation of the entire Bible into English was attempted until 1382. Middle English emerges popularized by works such as Cattenbury Tales and the Richard Rolls Salser around 1340. Which brings us in our timeline to the 1300s, which is where we're going to learn about John Wycliffe. John Wycliffe was the first English translated Bible. It is translated from Latin in 1382, and it is called the Wycliffe's Bible in honor of the priest and Oxford scholar John Wycliffe. During his lifetime, he had wanted the common people to have the Bible. So he also criticized a number of church practices and policies. His followers, diversely called Lowlords, lords, which means mumblers, included his criticisms in the preface of the winecloth Bible. And we know from history that this Bible is banned and burned. 44 years after his death, his bones are exhumed and reburned heresy so they really did not like this guy the devil did not like the fact that he wanted the word of god in every person's hand so that you could read the bible for yourself and see what it says without having other people tell you and now we're coming to a period in time which we know as the dark ages because in 1408 in england It becomes illegal to translate or read the Bible in common English without permission of a bishop. Wow, so you had to get permission to either read or translate the Bible in English in 1408. But also here in the 1400s, we get the first moving printing press with movable metal type in Germany by John Gutenberg. He was the person who invented the printing press. This invention is perhaps the single most important invention to influence the spread of the Bible. It's almost like God specifically invented the printing press so that the Bible could be produced. Because the Gutenberg Bible was the first book ever printed. This Latin Vulgate is illuminated by artists who hand-painted letters and ornaments on each page. And this brings us to the 1500s where Aramis, a priest and Greek scholar, publishes a new Greek edition alongside a corrected Latin translate of the New Testament in 1516. Greek New Testaments were based on Aramis' work and are called the Textus Receptus and is used later by Martin Luther, William Tyndale, and King James Version translations. In 1522 AD, martin luther comes on the scene and he translates the new testament into german and in 1525 william Tyndale, a priest and oxford scholar translates the new testament from greek but could not get approval to publish it in england so he moved to germany and prints bibles smuggling them into england in stacks of corn and flour wow god's word cannot be stopped In 1535, he publishes part of the Old Testament translated from Hebrew. In 1536, Tyndale is strangled and burned at the stake. His final words are, Lord, open the King of England's eyes. Tyndale is called the father of the English Bible because his translations form the basis of the King James Version. Much of the style and vocabulary are known as Biblical English and is traceable to his work. Alright, now this brings us up to the 1500s in our timeline. Where now the world received the Coverdale Bible. It was translated by Miles Coverdale in 1535 and was dedicated to Amberlynn, one of King Henry VIII's wives. This is the first complete Bible to be printed in English. So this is where we got our first English translated Bible. And the next Bible we get is the Matthew's Bible, translated by John Rogers, under the pen name Thomas Matthew, and is the first Bible published with the King's permission in 1537. This was printed one year after Tyndale's death. Its New Testament relies heavily on Tyndale's version and even has a tribute to him on the last page of the Old Testament which was Tyndale's initials printed two and a half inch block letters. Later, Thomas Cornwell, advisor to King Henry VIII, entrusted Coverdale to revise Matthew's Bible and to make the Great Bible. The Great Bible, from 1539, was placed in every church by order of Thomas Kramer, Archbishop under King Henry VIII, and the Bible is chained to the church pillars to discourage theft. It also discouraged people from reading it for themselves. And here we come to fifteen fifty five AD, where we come to meet Bloody Mary, England's Queen Mary, who bans Protestant translations of the English Bible, and John Rogers and Thomas Craner are burned at the stake, along with 300 men and women and children, who are also burned at the stake. Exiles from England flee to Geneva to escape the persecution, and in 1560 they print the Geneva Bible. A complete reversion of the Great Bible, with the Old Testament translated from Hebrew It also contained theological notes from Protestant scholars. So this might be where we got like one of our first study Bibles. Great scholars such as Calvin, Benza, Knox, and Winningham. It was also the first Bible to use Roman text instead of black letters. This is the Bible of Shakespeare and the one carried to America by the pilgrims in 1620. The 1640 edition is the first English Bible to omit the Apocryphy. The Bishop Bible was another new translation that began under Queen Elizabeth in 1568, but it failed to supersede the popularity of the Geneva Bible. The Ramas Duas Bible was translated into English from the Latin Vulgate by Catholic scholar Gregory Martin while in exile in France. New Testament in 1582 and the Old Testament in 1609. It becomes the standard English translation for the Roman Catholic Church for centuries. Which brings us to the 1600s to everyone's favorite Bible, the King James Version, or as it was also known, the Authorized Version. King James I of England commissioned 54 scholars to undertake a new Bible translation. Over the next six years, six teams of scholars use early English translations, Greek New Testament based on Aramaic's text, and Hebrew and Aramaic texts to publish the new version in 1611. The King James Version, also called the Authorized Version, is revised several times. The edition used today was revised in 1769. And that's why the King James Version is so popular, because it was used the biggest mass production of the most scholars to compile what we have today as the King James Version. This brings us to the 1800s, where older manuscripts are discovered. Between 1629 and 1947, several of the earliest known copies of the Bible are found. The Codex Alexandrus, from AD 400s is one of the earliest and most complete copies of the New Testament and is made available to the Western scholars in 1629. This confirms a lot of their translations and shows the accuracy that the Bible continued to preserve over the years. This also allowed them another opportunity to revise some of the editions so that way we could have a better understanding of the Word of God. Next, the Code of Santicus earliest complete copies of the New Testament from AD 300s is found in St. Catherine's Monastery near Mount Sinai. This brings us to the revised version in 1885. Scholars in England revised the King James Version to reflect the findings from the manuscripts discovered during the two previous centuries. Their goal is to use more reliable Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek texts to retranslate words based on the new linguistic information about these languages. Next, the Codex Vaticanus is found, the earliest and perhaps the most reliable copies of the New Testament, as early as AD 300s, is released to scholars in 1889. And now, in our timeline, we finally come to the 1900s, where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found in caves along the Dead Sea. In 1947 contained some of the oldest known copies of portions of the Old Testament these copies were made between 100 BC and 180 so you can see here in the 1900s we have a link bringing us all the way back to the 100 BC copies proving the accuracy that has been preserved and again allowing us more reflection into the scripture so that we can learn more from them in their original form. Among this finding was the scroll of Isaiah that was part of the Dead Sea Scrolls and is the oldest complete manuscript of any book of the Bible copied before the time of Christ. It is remarkably close to the modern Hebrew text with most of the variants being nothing more than a spelling difference. The Old Testament scroll provides confirmation that the methods used to preserve the Masoretic text were effective During the 1900s, more than a hundred manuscripts were found in Egypt, proving to skeptics that God can preserve his word. The Ugaric grammar is published in 1960s. Ugaric is an ancient language similar to Hebrew and helps scholars understand Hebrew vocabulary and poetry. So to give us more of a bigger picture, we had the original manuscripts from the 1500 B.C.s to the 100 A.D. We have the early manuscripts, which were the codexes from 425 A.D. to about 350 A.D., which those were all used in the translations and the copies in the ancient texts to come. We have the Vulgate from 400 A.D., the Wineclaf from 1380, the Tyndale from 1525, the Coverdale from 1535, the Matthew Bible from 1537, and the Great Bible from 1539, which all of these were using these early copy manuscripts, along with the Geneva from 1560, the Bishop's Bible from 1568, the King James from 1611, the Revised Version from 1881, and the American Standard Version from 1901. It is at this point that we got the Dead Sea Scrolls and began to use them to translate some of the newer versions, such as the Revised Standard Version from 1952, the Berkeley Bible from 1959, the Amplified Bible in 1965, the Jerusalem Bible in 1966, the New English Bible in 1970, the New American Standard Bible in 1971, the Living Bible from 1971, today's English version from 1976, the New International Version from 1978, the New King James Version from 1982, the Revised English Bible from 1989, and the New Revised Standard Version from the 1990s. These manuscripts all use the Dead Sea Scrolls. So the argument that a lot of people have today is the difference between the King James and some of the Bibles like the New Living Translation and the New International Version the only argument between the two is that the King James used the most scholars and probably one of the the tightest regiments to make sure that it contained its authenticity however the newer Bibles like the New Living and the New International Version had the Dead Sea Scrolls so they used the Dead Sea Scrolls a lot more to preserve the accuracy. However, it is the same Holy Spirit that works through all of the Bibles when read with an open heart, listening to the Word of God. Now, from the 1900s to today, we have the modern translation still being translated. The knowledge from the newly discovered manuscripts has led to hundreds of new translations. In 1885, the English Revised Version, the British Version of the King James Version, In 1901, the American Standard Version, revised of the King James Version in American English. In 1926, the Moffat Bible, a very popular modern language version. In 1931, the Smith Goodspeed, an American translation, modern American English. In 1952, the Revised Standard Version, A revision of the ASV and the New Testament was revised in 1971. In 1958, the J.B. Phillips New Testament in modern English, a paraphrase originally made for youth. In 1965, the Amplified Bible. It uses ASV with added words to communicate insight on original text. In 1966, the Jerusalem Bible. Translated by Catholic scholars in Jerusalem, the New Jerusalem Bible in 1985. In 1970, the New English Bible, timeless modern English, revised in 1989. 1970, the New American Bible, official version of the Roman Catholic Church, revised New Testament in 1986. In 1971, the New American Standard Bible, Literal translation, updated in 1995. In 1971, the Living Bible, popular paraphrase. In 1976, the Good News Bible, today's English version, a vernacular English translation. In 1978, the New International Version, dignified and readable. In 1982, the New King James Version. This was a modernization of the King James Version using the same manuscripts. In 1987, the New Century Version. This puts Biblical concepts into natural terms. In 1989, the Jewish New Testament. English translated using traditional Jewish expressions. In 1989, the New Revised Standard Version. Gender Neutral Revision of the RSV. In 1991, The Commentary English Version Natural, Uncomplicated English In 1995, God's Word Contemporary English In 1996, the New Living Translation This is probably one of my favorites A revision of the Living Bible To make it a translation This one seems to put it in the most easy to understand terms At least for me In 1996, the New International Reader's Version A simplified version of the NIV with a 3rd or 4th grade reading level. In 2001, English Standard Version. A literal up-to-date of the RSV. In 2002, The Message. A paraphrase from the original language. 2004, Holman Christian Standard Bible. Balance between word-for-word and thought-for-thought. In 2005, Today's New International Version. A modernization of the New International Version. And in 2005, the New English Translation. Available only on the internet with extensive translator notes. So that is a complete overview on how we got our Bible. How it was preserved over the ages and how each translation came to be. But even with all of this knowledge and everything that we've learned here on this Bible study today... There's still nothing that can convince you more of the power of the Word of God than simply sitting down and opening up the Bible and beginning to read it. The first time I ever read my Bible, I remember thinking that my life is never gonna be the same. And again, the best advice I can give to anybody who hasn't started reading their Bible is start in the New Testament. Crack your Bible open, go to the New Testament, Start with the Gospels and work your way towards Revelations. Once you get through Revelations, go back to Genesis and start your way through that. There's something about accomplishing the New Testament that kind of makes me feel like I can do the Old Testament. So it's easier to start in the in the New. That way you're dealing with the information that's actually going to help your life today as well because Jesus is the answer to this world. So the more that we can learn from his life and we can learn how we should be living our life, the easier our life is going to be. So by starting in the New Testament, you're allowing yourself to use what you're going to be learning right away. But I guarantee you, if you crack open your Bible and you start reading it, God will become a part of your life. And that is the greatest thing that can happen to any believer. So let's wrap this up today. We're going to be doing some following up Bible studies. I'm going to be doing an overview and how we can trust our Bible, and we're going to learn a lot more about the Bible itself. And, of course, I'll be doing some topical ones coming, but I love spending time learning from the Word of God, but sometimes we have to take some time to learn about the Word of God. So, let's go to God in prayer. Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you today, God, for keeping your hand on your Word. That it will allow us, Lord, to learn what we need to learn in this life, God. To live a life that is worthy of you. We worship you, God, for always thinking about mankind, God. And putting us at the center of your eye. That you could continue, Lord, to dump your blessings on your people. We worship you and thank you, God, for allowing us to have this journey through your word today, God, and to continue, Lord, to grow by opening up these pages and allowing your word to influence our life. We love you and worship you for everything you've done, God. I want you to touch the lives of everybody who listens to this Bible study. May this knowledge help them choose the Bible that they want to read that can help them grow more like you every day. I worship you and praise you and thank you for everything. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks, everybody, for joining me. I love doing these Bible studies with all of you. So until next time, God bless you.